The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk about a new book by renowned Silicon Valley lawyer Jotham Stein called Negotiate Like a CEO, and Jotham joins me by phone. Good morning, Jotham. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me on your program. Look forward to our conversation. Um, you know, I was looking. You went to uh, Stanford and Princeton. How did you end up in Silicon Valley? Well, Stanford is in Silicon Valley. So what happened was, like many people who move out to California, as I did so many years ago and go to Stanford, I stayed. I took a, a little detour to the Chicagoland area for about 11 years, uh, but I'm back in I'm actually talking to you now from uh, Half Moon Bay, California, which you say is just over the hill um, um, from Silicon Valley. What is the difference between uh, California and uh, and Chicago land <laughs> is is pretty dramatic weather-wise. Is that why you like uh, California? Is the weather? Uh, yeah, you might say I'm a snow on demand guy. I still like to ski. Uh, yeah. and uh, I do that, but I, I can drive up to skiing. Uh, you know, it gets about 6,000 feet here in California, and there'll be snow in the winter anyway, uh, up in the Lake Tahoe area, for example. Uh, and uh, But then you can come back down. Once you get down 6,000, 5,000 feet, whatever it is, uh, there's no more snow. Now, the new book, Jotham, uh, Negotiate Like a CEO, Um what prompted you to write that book? Aren't you kind of giving away trade secrets? Uh, a little bit, <laughs> but what really... Well, it's it's sort of true. Uh, but but I realized after all these years that, more than 25 years of practice, that I know so much about employment, what to look out for, uh, what things that can happen that are really good for um, somebody in a job, employment, and what things that can happen that are really bad that I wanted to, I wrote the book for two reasons. One, to help people, um, your listeners, you know, somebody, anybody who's in employment. And the other reason is to have a, a, a fun time writing the book. So I mixed in with the approximately 60% of the book that's, um, it's a breezy read, but it's what to look out for, how to protect yourself, you know, what the documents are, what the company is thinking if you're an employee, uh, all the things to, to be concerned about with other employees and, and with the company. And I mixed that in with uh, 40, uh, 50% of the book, about 59 um, fictional stories that I made up while sitting at the Pete's Coffee House uh, that are repeat stories that happen over and over again. It's all fictional, but you see, this, you see these kinds of um, 
um, events or stories um, that happen over and over again. If you were like a, a author, you would talk about genres of books or in a movie. In when you talk about movies, sometimes there are comedies and sometimes there are action movies and sometimes there are romance movies. Well, these kinds of events and themes happen over and over again in employment. And so I made stories up about them to underscore uh, the 60% that's nonfiction in the book. Jotham, is there any part of life that doesn't involve negotiation to some degree? Well, I think when you perhaps sit on the beach and, and, and uh, maybe uh, <laughs> take vacations, uh, but, you know, uh, negotiation is with us in all parts of our life, uh, in employment, in personal relations, uh, in business. And so uh, the themes in negotiate like a CEO about how to negotiate, what to look out for, uh, they're transcendent. And in other words, it's not just an employment or if you're a business person starting up a company or a business person who owns a company trying to uh, protect yourself against uh, the bigger companies or the smaller companies out there. Um, but it's true uh, that um, we negotiate all the time, even though uh, we don't often know we're doing that or think about it. Is the book um, and, and the anecdotes in the book, are they based primarily on business? Um, well, everything's related to business in some way. Like if you just go get a job, you know, you're concerned about getting your job. You're concerned about your offer letter or employment agreement. If you're in a job, uh, you know, you get uh, and you get uh, something that happens that's great, you get a new stock option agreement or something that, that my book will describe what's in a stock option agreement. Or if, you, on the other hand, you get a, a, you know, performance improvement plan or commission plan, all of those are about business, even though, uh, you know, you, the individual or the individual who's experiencing it, it's thinking about it all about themselves. So, um, you know, it depends on your perspective. Are there certain certain skills or or maybe just traits, characteristics that that people need to be a good negotiator, and can they be learned from examining some of these stories? Oh, absolutely, they could be learned. Uh, and I and I one of the things I talk about in the book is you you might think intuitively that someone's a great negotiator, but you can't negotiate without knowing the information, um, what, what the other side is thinking, what your employer is thinking, what the company's thinking, if you're in business, what the investors are thinking, what the venture capitalists are thinking. And so you can learn how to negotiate because you have to learn from the very beginning that negotiation is all about leverage. So you, and then you, if you understand, I think the book takes you through negotiate, like a CEO takes you through the process of being able to negotiate and protect yourself in employment. If you have that ability to do that, you have some leverage. Otherwise, it, get, it brings you through the process as your career goes forward in the trajectory, uh, what to look out for, what to do, um, what to be concerned about. So um, it's absolutely, you can learn um, to do that. And, and, and sometimes people have different personalities. So sometimes you might have to uh, um, go outside your personal box, if you will. It's outside the box for you personally where somebody else it might come more intuitively, but the tools are what's in my book. And um, if you're willing to use those tools in your employment and in your career, um, whether you're a newbie just starting out getting your first job or whether you're the CEO of a company or somebody at the C-suite level, uh, you certainly can learn to negotiate 
um, and, and, and do better for yourself in employment and your job and do better for your family, you know, if you look at it in the big picture, because a lot of employment is about, um, you know, family and, 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 and bringing home um, money and, and funds and stock and so forth to help your family um, be better off. Does negotiation always lead to resolution? Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, and one of the, you know, one of the things uh, that you have to consider, the risk that you have to consider in any negotiation is that there may not be a resolution. So, uh, and that's something I talk about in the book as well. I talk about thinking about things coldly and calculatingly and negotiating coldly and calculatingly which is really important because, especially in employment, no matter where you are, the first job you're getting or if you're CEO of a company, it can be a very emotional experience uh, uh, working, getting a job, getting fired from a job, getting a, a, a raise or, or a promotion or getting demoted. That's all emotional. But um, when you think about it coldly and calculatingly, you, one of the things you need to think about in negotiation is it might not work out. There might, you might not get that job. You might not get that promotion. You might have to look, and it might be better off, look for a job somewhere else or get a job somewhere else. Does that help explain what's going on in Congress? Uh, well, <laughs> now you've asked. Oh, so, so the problem that I see in Congress now is, that um, the parties don't want to have a resolution. So when you have to, in many cases, right, they do things for political purposes, and sometimes the political purpose is not to have a resolution. So uh, let's say the Democrats can tell the people listening to the Democrats and, and they're faithful that we tried really hard and it's the other side that did wrong, and so vote for us. And the Republicans are just the opposite. They want to tell their faithful that we tried hard and, uh, and, and the Democrats are, are the wrongdoers, so vote for us. And what we've lost in Congress and in America is the common ground at the, um, you know, in the old days, they, in the old days, in the 1800s, there was, uh, you know, the great compromisers were considered, they were venerated. There was a senator known as the great compromiser. Well, um, to compromise is a goal that you have in negotiation. You have to give and take. Uh, you don't get everything you want. But what's happened sort of in Congress, as I see it, uh, looking, looking outside from in, is nobody wants to compromise for their own reasons, right? For political reasons, to push their own parties. And so they don't look out for our country. They don't look out for our state. They don't really look out for the people. What they're doing is looking out for themselves and their parties. And, and that's the arena they're playing in. So one of the things I talk about in the book in a business sense is you have to know the arena that you're in. Right before you can negotiate, you have to know the arena you're in. You have to know what the other side is thinking, or do your best to know what the other side is thinking. You have to know what you want, what your goals are. But if your goals, if the arena you're playing in, and the goals you have isn't to look out for a compromise and negotiate as you have to in, in Congress, then you're going to have this schism, this wide um, chasm that we have in our country, um, where uh, the, the goals are not really to look out for the people, us. It's to look out uh, for re-election, for political power, and so forth. That's the way I see it. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. In, in Congress, compromise is a dirty word these days, but uh, is it in the world of business negotiation? Oh, no. In business, you have to go to Congress um, very often, um, depending on what kind of business you have. 
to try to push whatever um, you're trying to push. Uh, you know, the, there's lobbyists. Who pays the lobbyists? It's business, um, often big business. But um, and so they're not that they're not they're seen as unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, they're seen as uh, uh, that's how you get ahead <laughs> if you get the lobbyist to do what you get the congressperson to do what the lobbyist wants you to do if it's your lobbyist. But is compromise a dirty word in business negotiations between employees and employers? Uh, uh, between businesses, various vendors, and so on? Oh, absolutely not. People compromise in business all the time. And sometimes they take, uh, they take uh, you know, losses. They, they, like, this is what doesn't happen in Congress. And I don't mean losses. I mean, they don't get what they want. I mean, that's what business is all about. Sometimes you have to compromise uh, to, to get a, a deal done very often. You have to compromise in employment. You're not going to, you know, a CEO going into a, a new job, even if they're well sought after, has to compromise. He or she's not going to get everything he or she's asking for. Uh, and the company is not going to get everything they're asking for, too. They know that. And often one of the terms I use when I talk to my clients, um, which isn't what happens at Congress. So this is distinct. Remember, business is about economics. It's about getting um, increasing the size of your business or protecting your business or forming your business or, or getting a job or getting a promotion. Right, so you have to compromise, and sometimes you have to um, give up things. And what I say often to my clients or to people who I'm discussing negotiate like a CEO with is, it's cost of doing business. The cost of doing business to compromise. It's a cost of doing business not to get everything you want, right? Because the other side is also thinking the same thing. Uh, the problem is that when you talk about Congress earlier, nobody in Congress is, is saying it's a cost of compromising for the better for the for the public. It's, it's a cost of the cost of, of, of good government. Country. What's that? The cost of good government. The cost of good government. Exactly. That's you, see, Tom, you got it better than I do. You know, the, the phrases. So the cost of good government is equivalent to the cost of doing business. Right. So you have to compromise and, and people compromise all the time in business. If, if any of those people in Congress would learn and, and more importantly, the people who vote, it's us, right, that are voting for these. These, these representatives, uh, but if they if they realize that um, you get along in business by compromising, you got to get along in, in, in Congress by compromising. My guest is uh, Jotham Stein, author of a book, Negotiate Like a CEO. Um, Jotham, I have to take a, uh, a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? I'd be happy to stick around, Tom. Great. Um, if you're listening to us on WFOV, our voice is Radio 92.1 LPFM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, when, uh, if there are interviews that you miss on the, uh, on the show, you can always go to our archives and scroll through hour by hour and find, uh, find that particular interview and, and listen to it at a later time. And the show repeats all day, every day, until the next new show is produced uh, at 9 a.m. Eastern weekdays. So uh, don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with uh, more with my guest Jotham Stein 
right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with Silicon Valley uh, attorney and author of a new book called Negotiate Like a CEO, Jotham Stein. Jotham, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, no, uh, no problem. Happy to be here. Actually, it was fun to listen uh, to what you put in there when I, when I was uh, not on your show. Um, Jotham, the... Uh, in the book, you've you've indicated that this is uh, a, a great tool for people that are wanting to know how to negotiate with their employer, for example. And I, that could be relations between CEOs and board members, employees and the CEO. It, it, it can exist at a number of different levels. But lately, because of the pandemic, a lot of people are re-evaluating their their work status and um, that's caused what some are calling the great resignation would that resignation be as great if people had better negotiating skills well that is a really interesting question uh, I would say uh, partially it would be as great because um, some of the things that are causing people to uh, resign and take time off, um, don't have anything to do with negotiation. They have to do with their personal lives, their personal experiences, the effect of the pandemic, what things they thought about during the pandemic. So that's sort of unrelated. The psychology, the sociology of what's happening is unrelated to negotiation. But part may, because during the pandemic, they may have realized that they're they're not fulfilled in their job or they're not getting what they want in their job or they're not getting... Um, they're not getting treated well in their job. And part of that may have been because they didn't maximize their personal returns when they negotiated. So you asked a sort of complex question with a complex answer. Well, I wanted to give you something to work with, Jonathan. <laughs> so I appreciate that. You know, I, I wanted to come back from before the break uh, about about uh, that uh, all of business and, and employment is negotiation. So if you think about it from an offer letter, somebody's getting an offer letter, yeah. and they have a salary there. Just let's make up that it's a $100,000 a year salary, and let's make up that they're getting 10,000 shares of stock, which would be vesting over time. That's the equity in, in, in a company. And that they're on a commission plan for, let's say, 5% of whatever they sell. These are totally made-up numbers. But that person who's going into this job, um, if they have leverage, might want to negotiate for, ask for uh, 125000 in salary, 7% of what they sell, and 20,000 options. Right? The company wants to hire them, so they may have not made their best offer at the beginning. But the, but the other hand, the would-be employer thinks to themselves, now these are individuals, right? But so I'm talking metaphorically, the company is thinking to itself, I want this employee, but there's no way I'm paying 125,000. There's no way I'm giving them 20,000 shares. Uh, and, and there's no way I'm giving them 7% uh, of whatever they sell. But you know what? They think, I, I want this employee, so I have to give something. And they offer something in between, 110000 in salary and, 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 and 6% of sales and 15,000 shares, sub, you know, option vesting over four years. Then the, the employee with a little bit of leverage thinks, I want to go to that job, but you know what, I can get a little more. 
and and they cut, but they compromise because they they know if they push too hard, they the negotiation may fail. This is what they and this is what's happening. That's a negotiation that happens on a and so they ask for let's say they settle on one hundred and twelve thousand dollars of of, of set base salary and 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 a and a five and a six point five percent commission and and sixteen thousand shares of stock. And both sides there are compromising because the employee wants to wants to take that job is happy about that job sees a trajectory for the future for the job and the and the employer has compromised because they want that employee and they know they have to compromise to get there so we do this all the time negotiate and and the book negotiate like ceo gives you the tools to think about what to look for the leverage and so forth and why it's called negotiate like a ceo is because um talk about a lot of the theme of the book is to protect yourself in employment at whatever level you're at with whatever leverage you have. And what, in it, what do CEOs do when they negotiate? The first thing they do, or most of them, uh, when they're going into a, a new job, a new company to run, is they uh, negotiate their severance agreement, their separation agreement, on day one. And their offer letter, uh, their offer employment agreement, says what happens if they get fired. So that they're protecting their downside, even, though, even before they started this new company that they're going to run. We all, that's the reason for that is uh, we all hope that uh, things are going to work out in employment. We all hope this is going to be the, the, the best job of all time and perhaps we'll be there the rest of our lives. But it, things don't always work out the way you think. So uh, one of the themes of the book is think like a CEO, negotiate like a CEO, and protect yourself in employment um, if you have any leverage at all, any ability to do that. Either that or if you, if you do have some leverage, um, but you don't want to protect yourself, at least go in to employment uh, with your eyes wide open. You know, so many times people think of uh, CEOs as being all-powerful. And I remember many, many years ago, Jotham, um, there was a, a, a seminar that I went to um, that did case studies of uh, well-known CEOs and. One of them was Lee Iacocca. I can't remember who the other two or three were. But the thing they all had in common is that they had all been fired. You know what? It's really <laughs> interesting. I can't, I can't tell you how many CEOs, listen, I represent them, get fired. And some of them get fired repeatedly. And some of them get fired after they've really succeeded at a company. So uh, I'd have to say a lot of people even in business and a lot of interviewers that I talk with um, – you know, on various radio shows, podcasts, TV shows, they've been fired before in their history, if you think about it early on, and some are from very successful companies. So um, um, CEOs are, are for sure not all powerful. There's a, always a board, uh, unless they own the company completely. But if they're board, as a board, the board can fire the CEO, uh, and that happens not infrequently, and, and, and that's why CEOs protect themselves. Uh, and why everyone out there, all of your listeners, if they have any opportunity to do so in employment at whatever level, they should protect themselves. I heard a great line once a comedian was talking about all the jobs he'd had before he became a comedian, and he said he'd been fired more times than George Jetson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? If that's the, the, the one of the great things about what this comedian is saying, and uh, and Lee Iacocca having been fired, and the other CEOs be fired. What's the what's the learning for us all out? What's the learning? The learning is that if we get fired, so what? We should get another job. 
uh, or change careers in a different career, people get fired all the time, and it's the issue is how you come back from that. And I actually talk about that, that in my book, uh, sort of reincarnating yourself if things don't go so well. And that happens all the time at every level. And uh, in my practice, I regularly have clients uh, who call me um, um, and they tell me six months later, well, the best thing that ever happened was that I got fired. Is, is every negotiation unique? Yeah, I would say, well, everyone is unique because of all the different factors that are involved. But some, some follow a pattern. That was the, the point of the 59 stories. There's a pattern of events that happen uh, in negotiations, in employment, in business, as entrepreneurs. Right? Everything is unique. The documents are going to be unique. Your offer letter is going to be unique. If you're in investing, your, your investor agreement is going to be unique. Uh, but what there are, there's an overarching sort of theme to some of the negotiations. For example, um, changing the topic a little bit, if you were an entrepreneur and you started a company and you're taking an investment, uh, let's say you're taking an investment from venture capitalists, okay, it's going to be unique because your, your business is unique, you're unique, your concerns are unique, but, but there's a general sort of overarching pattern that happens in the documents. Like I can look at a document and it'll be this similar because it, why? Because the investors are looking out for themselves. And if you're a shrewd entrepreneur, you need to look out for yourself. So you need to take those pattern documents and protect yourself against them. And, and, and uh, there are concerns that investors have, depending on what kind of investors they are. But venture capitalists, for example, are often concerned about their limited partners. And so they do things in their documents and they negotiate to look out for what concerns them. Now, every negotiation is going to be different. Um, the documents may be the same, but again, you can change those documents if you know what to look out for. So that's what I mean by everything is, every negotiation itself is unique, but many follow patterns. Well, yeah, and I wanted to get into that idea of following patterns to, to see if there's, um, if, if the book presents um, a, a template or, or a checklist of things to look out for and and things to do and and if it addresses people who try to avoid negotiating uh, so those are a couple of different questions yeah uh, put together there tom uh yes to the first part does it there's their checklist at the end of every chapter uh there it would call them things to remember don't call them a checklist you know things to remember what what were the most important things in that chapter and what should you the reader remember and, uh, and, and trying to drive all those, those points, those things to remember are both the, the nonfiction part, explaining whatever the chapter is, is about, and then the, un, the stories, that, the fictional stories that underscore that. So uh, for sure, um, there, the book um, lays out all the things you can, should think about in the different stages of employment, as you get, get a job, as you negotiate the, the offer letter employment agreement, when you're in a job, if things are going well, to to get a you know um, more commission, for example, or uh, a a, 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 um, a promotion, if things are not going well, what to look out for, and things to remember if you're negotiating um, to start your own company and you're negotiating with investors, things to remember. You know what? And if you get uh, somebody comes to you and says, "We don't want you anymore. You're fired." Things to remember and how to negotiate. Uh, hopefully, a, a separation agreement on the back end. So that's for sure in the book. Um, I think the other part of the question you asked was uh, for, uh, is, is there a discussion about um, people who don't like to negotiate? 
um, I think, are avoid negotiation. Yeah. So we certainly talk about that, about how important it is to negotiate. But I, I don't have a, the book does not have like a psychological breakdown um, and, and, and what the psychology is of people who uh, refuse to negotiate. Um, we all, the book talks about how important it is to negotiate, what to look out for, um, uh, all the things that can help you. Thinking outside your box. Uh, your personal box, how important that is, how the results can be great for you and your family. book certainly talks about that. But if you're asking about what it is in the brain, the the synapses and the psychology, uh, I leave that to psychiatrists and and psychologists. Well, yeah, there's lots of those kind of books. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I didn't didn't try to recreate, uh, you know, the... I, I wanted to give everybody the tools to make things better in employment, in negotiation, being an entrepreneur, uh, leverage. But I, if somebody has sort of um, um, significant psychological issues, um, then, I, then, then, then that's, that's for specialists. But there's one part of the book that there's one of the stories I titled, you know, the, the titles of the stories are, uh, are great, like You're, You're Powerless or... Um, 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 you know, uh, I want a clean house or so forth. So to try to draw people in, but one is um, you can't teach people what they need to learn for themselves. And it talks about the importance of certain um, um, concepts and certain to protect yourself in certain areas where somebody has leverage in this particular story, the characters um, have plenty of leverage and they could negotiate to protect themselves, but they do classically what a lot of people do in employment which is they don't negotiate because they're afraid that they're going to upset someone when they have the leverage. Um, yet the other character who's having the conversation with the, with the fictional lawyer is actually a financial planner in this story who knows, who's seen it before, and is calling the lawyer and says, my, my, um, my um, clients need help. I want to send them to you, but the clients don't want to come. What do I do? And so uh, at some point they have this conversation, which is very helpful, hopefully, to the reader about all the things that, the, that the, uh, these clients, these uh, employees um, should be doing. And at the end, they won't come uh, to the lawyer. And so the lawyer says, the fictional lawyer in this story says, well, you can't teach people sometimes what they need to learn for themselves. It's the equivalent of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. So that does happen. Um, you see that. Uh, unfortunately, for people who can protect themselves, they have the tools to protect themselves. Um, sometimes they know they should, but they don't. And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes that, that hurts them, works out to their detriment. How many books does this make for you now, Jotham? Uh, it's uh, two. I wrote the uh, first book I wrote some years ago is actually the how-to book for lawyers who want to uh, represent C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, and actually employees of any level. So that book is published by um, the big behemoth in the in the world of how-to legal books. Uh, it's called LexisNexis. And uh, the second one is meant for everybody. Negotiate uh, like a CEO. I wrote that not to teach lawyers how to how to represent entrepreneurs and executives and employees, but rather for the entrepreneur, for the executive, for the employee at any level to to help them. Uh, in their career, to help them in their jobs, to help them in their business. And so, uh, and that's the book I'm, I'm talking about now, which we've been talking about. And you can learn more about it at uh, negotiate like a CEO book.com. So if you went to that website, 
um, you'd see more about the book and a couple of these excerpts that I'm talking about, learn a little bit more about me. And you could buy the book there too as well or go directly to Amazon and buy the book from Amazon directly. Hi, you're reading my mind. I always close interviews with an opportunity to find out where people can uh, can learn more. But in, in this book, Jotham, Negotiate Like a CEO, you said there were, what, 49, 59 uh, different sort of case studies. Is it because negotiations are so individual that that was the best way to show different variations and how they might go so that people can maybe select one that, that comes close to matching their particular situation? Actually, I did it... Uh to entertain people, right? So you can just read those stories. <laughs> and and uh, you read those stories, you could put away the rest of the book and you'd be thinking, um, uh, you know, hey, that happened to me somewhere along the way. And hopefully that would draw you into reading the chapter about um, what happened to you along the way. Uh, and uh, if you don't think that, surely um, you'll come away thinking, um, hey, that happened to somebody I know. That happened to some relative I know. So I wanted to make it really interesting. That's why the stories are there. Um, and, and yet to underscore the themes of the book. Um, and so, and I had a good time writing those stories as well. Well, you mentioned, characters. you mentioned that early in the, uh, early in the hour, Jotham, that, that part of writing this book was entertaining to you. And that makes me wonder what's, what's next. Is there another, uh, Jotham Stein book on the, on the horizon? There is another uh, book, and 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 I have been writing, but I'm not yet ready to talk about it. So I was at my favorite writing location actually this past weekend, uh, the Pete's Coffee House in uh, Half Moon Bay. And uh, as soon as it, as soon as I I get it down and formulated, I'll be happy to come back on on your sh- on your program at some and, and talk with you about it. Well, I hope I hope you will. And and I wondered if you if you sort of got the bug. Oh, I love to create. I love to write. So, uh, you know, when I can fit it in at uh, uh, my busy schedule, you know, I have lots of clients who, who uh, want the time. And I've been talking about this book, Don't Want to Forget About Negotiate Like a CEO, because I, um, I think it's really invaluable to, to people, regardless of where they are in their, in their career. And, um, but I still like to take some time for myself and, and, and write the, the next thing. Well... Jotham, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, and as I as I said, I, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you want to share that uh, website again? Sure, I'd be happy to. Negotiate like a CEO book.com. That's the website, negotiate like a CEO book.com, where you can... Uh, learn more about the book um you can um there are excerpts from the book uh, there are excerpts from the stories uh, you can learn more about me and um if you're so inclined you can press the the buy button on the on the um, website and uh it takes you to amazon uh, dot uh, amazon.com where you can uh, buy and negotiate like a ceo if you're so inclined well, Jotham, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning and sharing your uh, your thoughts about uh, negotiating like a CEO, the book that uh, that you've just released. And um, 
keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Tom, and thanks very much uh, for having me on your program. All right. Take care. That was uh, Jotham Stein. He is uh, the principal of the law offices of Jotham Stein PC. He has more than two decades of experience representing entrepreneurs and C-suite executives, board members, venture capitalists, private equity principals, and investment bankers, as well as less senior employees of all size companies. He is a graduate of Stanford Law School and Princeton University. Um, he, uh, the new book is uh, called Negotiate Like a CEO, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. The Tom Sumner Program dot com. The Tom Sumner Program dot com. The Tom Sumner Program dot com.
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell, East Village Magazine, Flint Institute of Music, Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg, Flint Community School, MTA Flint, Flint Comics and Entertainment, Hamity Complete Food Center, The Flint River Watershed Coalition, WH Wisecarver, The Genesee County Road Commission, Lone Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, I'd like to have an argument, please. Certainly, sir. Have you been here before? No, I haven't. This is my first time. I see. Well, do you want to have just one argument, or were you thinking of taking a course? Well, what is the cost? Well, it's one pound for a five-minute argument, but only eight pounds for a course of ten. Well, I think it would be best if I perhaps started off with just the one and then see how it goes. Fine. Well, I'll see who's free at the moment. Uh, Mr. DeBakey's free, but he's a little bit conciliatory. Ah, yes. Try Mr. Barnard, room 12. Thank you. What do you want? Well, I was told outside that... Don't give me that, you snotty-faced heap of parrot droppings. What? Shut your festering gob, you tit. Your type really makes me puke, you vacuous, coffee-nosed, malodorous pervert. Look, I came here for an argument. I'm not going to just... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, but this is abuse. Oh, I see. Well, that explains... Oh, yes. You want room 12A, just along the corridor. Oh, thank you very much. Sorry. Not at all. Thank you. Stupid kid. Come in. Uh, is this the right room for an argument? I told you once. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. I did. Didn't. Did. Didn't. I'm telling you, I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry. Just one moment. Um, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? Oh, just the uh, five minutes. Ah, thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Look, let's get this thing clear. I quite definitely told you. No, you did not. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You didn't. Did. Well, look, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. It is. It is not. Look, you just contradicted me. I did not. Oh, you did. No, no, no. You did just then. Nonsense. Oh, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. No, you came here for an argument. Well, an argument isn't just contradiction can be. No, it can't. An argument is a connected series of statements intended to establish a proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It's not just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. Yes, but that's not just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Argument is an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic gainsaying of any statement the other person makes. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Not at all. No, no. Good morning. What? That's it. Good morning. I was just getting interested. Sorry, five minutes is up. That was never five minutes. I'm afraid it was. It wasn't. I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, I'll have to pay for another five minutes. Yes, but that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. Look, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. Oh, all right. Thank you. Well? Well, what? That wasn't really five minutes just now. I told you, I'm not allowed to argue unless you've paid. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. Uh, look, I don't want to argue about well, that. Well, you didn't pay. Aha. Uh-huh. If I didn't pay, why are you arguing? I've got you. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. If you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. 
I could be arguing in my spare time. Oh, I've had enough of this. No, you haven't. Oh, shut up. I want to complain. You want to complain? Look at these shoes. I've only had them three weeks and the heels are worn right through. No, I want to complain if about... If you complain, nothing happens. You might as well not bother. Oh. And my back hurts and we're in a fine day and I'm sick and tired of this office. Hello, I want to... Oh! No, no, no. Hold your head like this. Then you go, wow, try it again. Oh! Better, better, but wow, wow. Put your hand there. No. Now. Wow! Good, good, that's it. Stop hitting me. What? Stop hitting me. Stop hitting you? Yes. Why'd you come in here then? I wanted to complain. Oh, no, that's next door. It's being hit on the head lessons in here. What a stupid concept. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. <laughs> What's what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potatoes? salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pare them? I pared them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Hand me my... Which one? 
It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage, anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That wraps up today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say thanks to uh, all of the guests that were on the show today, starting with uh, this past hour, Jotham Stein from Silicon Valley, author of Negotiate Like a CEO. Before that, um, we talked with uh, John Farrell about his book, The Clock and the Camshaft, and other medieval inventions that you still can't live without. And we started out this morning with the author of the uh, Confessions of a Dork Lord series, the new book in that series, Grave Danger by Mike Johnston. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody. program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions 
Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.